excited about this series, and uh, so I'll kind of give you a disclaimer to begin with. This has a whole lot more autobiography than, it, than normally would happen on a Sunday morning, uh, but I feel like you kind of need to know where this series is coming from, and so uh, in fact, uh, many times when I travel, I have this set of messages that I'll take when I travel to speak somewhere, and I'll speak, use this series, and I've been doing it for like four or five years, but I've never done it at home, and so as we started planning the new series for the coming year, and when the students all got back, and we all back in school, uh, this was the one that was very clear that uh, we wanted to try, wanted to, wanted to do as a church, and uh, all that will make more sense after I tell you some stories. Okay? I think my intro's been good so far, so uh, let me have a word of prayer, and we'll get, get going. Lord, thank you so much for these beautiful people, and uh, man, so excited about this time of their lives, um, uh, whether they're back at school, whether we're back on vacation, whether they're dropping kids off, whatever it is, Lord, just exciting, uh, excited to be part of the community during this time, and I pray over the next few moments, the thing I pray every week, um, I just hope we'll all leave and be a little bit more like you, just want to be more like Jesus, uh, and how uh, as a husband, as a father, as a man, uh, or, or all my friends, as students, whatever, just make us a little bit more like you. And some of us, Lord, that'll be a major life decision. Others, it'll be a tweak of some sort. But just, just let us be a little bit more like you. And so speak to our hearts. And when we leave this place, uh, or whether we're watching online, when we're done listening to the message, may it just be really clear. Hey, I'm gonna, this is what I'm going to, this is what God has said to me today, to be more like him. So have your way, I pray in your name. Amen. Uh, so I want to start by asking a question that honestly I didn't have a great answer for for a long time, but I did have an answer for, but it wasn't a great answer. And to get at the question, I have to basically tell you a story. And the story has to do with when I was about 10 years old. And um, I've shared a story with at Alive before. Um, but as a boy, I remember going to a state fair. And I don't know if you've ever been to a state fair or not, but the best part about a state fair is seeing all the weird people. You know, that's the most exciting part. I mean, there's the fried Snickers and fried pickles and all that. That's great. But the best part is the weirdos. Sorry. Weird people, people with weirdness, whatever you say, but anyway, those weird people at a state fair. And as a young teenager, maybe in a teenager, I was probably 10, thought I was a teenager. I remember one particular year, I went to the state fair, and the weirdos that were there that year were Christian weirdos. And it was awesome. And so I got a, a thing of popcorn, you know, and the Christian weirdos were all piled up over here. And I just like stood like 20 feet away and just ate popcorn and watched the Christians do weird things. And, and they were legit Christian weirdos. Um, the ladies... I had one hair stylist apparently in the whole church, and it was all up here with a little, like a dog had taken, well, whatever it is, it's called up top. There's something that was up there. And then they had these ankle, these, these skirts. I didn't know where you get these that were down to their ankles. And I figured that meant either they didn't shave or they were afraid that I would be led to lust by their ankle bones. And so, you know, they, they kind of have that all the way down there. And then um, the men, the men had like these dark pants, these white shirts on, and these huge bellies that kind of covered the belt buckle and everything else, you know, down there. And so they kind of had these out, and then they had these massive Bibles, and their faces like were red. And so I was watching these people. It's very exciting. And I mean, if you have a stereotype uh, that you would think would be snake handlers, that was these people. That was, these, are, these are those people right there. And these folks were you know, upset. And as a kid, I mean, I wasn't that bright. <laughs> Still not really, but I, 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 I didn't know I was supposed to avoid these people. 
So when you're walking into the state fair trying to get something normal like a bearded lady, you're walking into the state fair and all these people over there spitting and spewing and the whole crowd was going like, oh dear, weird Christians. You know, they kind of did this kind of roundabout. I didn't know. I had terrible parents, I guess. And so, I mean, I got the popcorn. I was like, wow, this is better than lions, you know, just kind of watching these weird Christians act out. And so it's it kind of fun for me to watch. And so I walked right up and watched it. And immediately as a parent, these are some angry people. These people are not at peace in the world. In fact, the literature that they gave me was this little kind of book. And on the front of the book was this bunch of, uh, of flames like hell and these little like black figures in there that were burning in hell. Aw. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and the front of it said, turn or burn which I thought was creative, but anyway, that's still what it's turn or burn. And so, you know, we had that moment, and this was, a, this was an awesome year for weirdos at the state fair. I was looking for T-shirts. I want one of those turn or burn shirts, you know. So I was watching all this unfold, and then the ringleader, Apostle Zedekiah, saw me standing there eating my popcorn 10 years old in my shorts, my knee-high white socks, and my Reeboks. And so he locked eyes with me, and he leaned toward me, and he spit as much as he said, if you were to die today, do you know where you would spend eternity? And I wet myself. <laughs> no, i just kidding. I didn't. But that was sort of the emotions I had in that moment, right? You know. Now, I'm a young kid, so I pretended... I didn't hear him, and I just looked the other way, you know, still eating my popcorn. But he wasn't going to let me get away, so he kind of took a step toward me and stepped closer, and he leaned down into my face, which I don't know how we bent over, but he leaned down into my face, and he said again, you boy, if you were to die today, do you know where you would spend eternity? Now, at first, I was ticked off. He just called me boy. <laughs> you don't call an alligator a lizard. You know what I'm saying? You don't call me boy like that. That's just not right. But I was still a little scared, so I was there to watch the weirdos. I didn't want to talk to them and certainly not become one of them. So, but I'd been to the altar as a kid. And I knew what church was, and so I told the dude, I said, well, yeah, I think, I, I think I'd go to heaven. To which Apostle Zedekiah spewed back, how do you know, you heathen boy? But this time I remember he really spit, because I had to do this number when he got finished. I'm only assuming he knew I was a heathen, because I was wearing shorts. <laughs> so I said, well, I gave my heart to Jesus, and he forgave me for my sins. Are you sure? Do you know that without a doubt? The world's going to hell, boy, and you might be going with it. Well, I, I knew it before I started talking to you. <laughs> no, I'm not sure of anything, to be honest. At this point, Apostle Zedekiah was sort of freaking me out, so I started backing away from the weirdos. And I gave him a, a one-finger blessing. My older brother had just taught me, and so I kind of blessed him with that. <laughs> Today, I'm 51, and that interaction happened over 40 years ago. Uh, do you know today I can still muster up all the emotions, the sight, and smells of that encounter? In fact, now that I'm 6'3", I'd love to meet Brother Zedekiah again. Have a laying on of hands kind of service, you know? <laughs> I can still picture the little veins in Apostle Zedekiah's cheeks and see the black leather, well-worn Bible cover that he was shaking at me. And a couple things I took away from that experience. One, if that's what it means to follow God, I don't want anything to do with it. I saw what he had, and I didn't want it in my life. 
I didn't want anything to do with it. If this is what God's love looks like, I didn't need it, and I don't think the world needed it. If these people were sharing the love of Christ, it looked a lot like fear and anger, and so I didn't want anything to do with that. The second thing I took away was this, and it's the reason we're doing this series. It's the reason I tell you that story. I walked away from the Apostles Zedekiah interaction with these two questions that I've carried my entire life. And the two questions are basically this. Do I have a relationship with God? And if I do, what's it look like? And I ask you the same questions. Do you have a relationship with God? And if so, what does it look like? Question haunted me for some time as a believer because there was this, there was this period of time in my life when I wasn't a Christian. And so during that time in my life, if you would have said, hey, Tom, do you have a relationship with God? I would have said, no, I don't. And I knew it. And I would have told you that if you would have asked me. I was raised in a Christian home, but I basically rejected everything I was taught and didn't care about the church, didn't care about the Bible, didn't care about Jesus, and not so sure I cared about myself. And so I would have said, no, I don't have a relationship with God. Maybe someday, but not today. And maybe that's where some of you would say, that's kind of where I hang out right now. Then there's other times in my life when I sort of backburnered the question, if you will, if I kept it on the back burner, you see, this whole relationship with God, then I could keep doing what I wanted to do, be who I wanted to be. And if you were to ask me at that point if I had a relationship with God, I'd say, yeah, I gave my heart to Jesus when I was a kid. But I was also doing a lot of things in the current day that I knew weren't pleasing to Jesus. And, and, and that may be some of you as well. You're like, yeah, I kind of gave my heart to Jesus at a vacation Bible school or at a revival or at my mom's, my mom prayed with me, you know, when I was like six But today, I don't know, it's kind of there, but it's on the back burner. And then there's this period of my life that I'm in now, and basically it's this. I've decided I'm going to spend all the time I have left of this one and only life in a full, all-out relationship with God and pursuing that and what it means. That's kind of where I've landed on this thing. Because I believe there is a life after this one. And I further believe that how I live my life impacts whatever comes next. I believe Jesus died for for my sins, and I think he offers me forgiveness, and I haven't found anything else in this world that will offer me forgiveness. And so now I've decided I'm going to live for him. But here's my secret. Uh, I guess it's my own little embarrassment, if you will. I still live with constant attention and diligence and searching about what my relationship with God is to be. In other words, I don't feel like I've ever arrived somewhere. I'm just cruising. In fact, out of all the things in my life I try to be disciplined over, this is probably the one that I most engage in. (laughs) Don't misunderstand me. I don't wonder if I have a relationship with God anymore. I'm not afraid of where I'm going to go when I die. My questions have a whole lot more to do with this life. My searching has a whole lot more to do with this deep desire to know God and to know him intimately. In other words, I'm not, it's not enough for me to come into a room and sit and hear about God and then not even think about him until next Sunday. That's not kind of what, I, I don't think that's what the relationship's supposed to be. And so I, I know I have this Savior, and I know he saved me and my sins and forgave me. The questions I deal with today are, do I also have a Lord? Follow? So I know he saved me, but do I got somebody who's I'm surrendering to, I'm submitting to, who is Lord over my life? What does it mean for me to live as one who serves his Lord? And how do I know where I am in relationship with God? So the question is still the same. 
do I have a relationship with God? And if so, what's it look like? And maybe you could ask yourself those same questions. And I'll tell you why this question is important to me these days. Again, I apologize for being more autobiographical than normal, but um, I think it'll make sense when it's all said and done. So today, uh, I'm a husband, married to Lise for 30 years. She's absolutely the most fantastic woman in the world I've ever met. And if there's anybody on the planet that I want to love well, that I want to make sure her life is amazing, it's Lisa. I want, to, I want to see her do well. And over our relationships, there have been countless times when we came to the end of our ropes in our relationship, basically because I'm hard to live with. And I specifically remember after medical school and residency, and we wondered if our relationship was actually going to survive. And at that point, we had two young kids. We don't even know where they came from. But we had these two young kids at that point, and there was nowhere for us to turn in that moment except God. And if God didn't show up, we were going to lose it all. Are you with me? Can I go a little bit more? You left me totally alone right there. Can I go a little bit deeper? I'm a father. I got three wonderful kids most days. I got three kids every day, but most days they're wonderful. I don't know about y'all's kids. Mine didn't come with any manuals or textbooks. You just get them. Whoop, there they are. <laughs> and then you got to figure out what to do. And I know you young moms don't want to hear this, but the easiest days when all you got to do is feed them and clean up the this stuff on, you know, all that. You got to just get rid of that. And that's it. And then they get older. And you got you to teach them how to survive the world. I don't know, some of y'all were alive during the 9-11 attacks, and I remember one of my kids coming home from school, afraid Saddam Hussein was going to get her, or Osama bin Laden. What are you supposed to read there? Where's that, where's the answer to that one? And then they get older, and your kid has a self-esteem issue, or your kid's being picked on at school, and society frowns on you, go punching a middle school kid in the face, so you can't do that as a dad. All soft. kids bullying other kids. You ought to be punching. But anyway, I'm just saying, that's how I feel. So when your kid has self-esteem issues, your kid's being picked on over, how about this? Your kid's questioning life. How about this one? What about when your kid's sick and all the doctors are saying stuff you don't understand? Your kid's struggling with something developmentally or being bullied or emotional trauma. Where are you supposed to turn as a dad on that? A number of times I've felt totally inadequate as a father could fill up a book. And on top of that, as you may or may not know, I'm a pastor. Lisa's a physician. So what happens as a result of that is she and I tend to collide with people in their lives at points of great crisis. And so we have to kind of develop this filtering device at home on how we're going to handle this. And I'll just kind of give you a couple examples. A couple weeks ago, my wife was caring for a 48-year-old lady who is having hospice come in because cancer is going to kill her within the next week or so. I've counseled a couple who recently discovered that the other has had multiple affairs and their home's devastated, and they're both still trying to protect the kids, but the future has this bomb dropped in it, and it's all going to come out. There was a time when the weight of ministry 
was so heavy on me, I thought it actually broke my psyche, wherever that is. And as we deal with these situations and deal with other situations that are more serious, enough games, enough plastic faith, we've, Lisa and I have often come to the end of our own strength and had to lean hard into something bigger than the two of us. And for us, it was our relationship with God. Some of you in the room have different battles. Some of you are battling addictions. You get this. Some of you are recovering from a divorce, either yours or your parents or your children, whatever. You're covering from that. Some of you are battling illness and life and death issues on a very, very personal level. Some of you are battling crippling emotional issues like depression or anxiety. For some of you, being in this room is the most stressful thing that will go on in your life this week. But you're here and I'm glad. Some of you are battling eating disorders or cutting or destructive behaviors or thought patterns. And some of you are like me, you're a natural born skeptic and you've reasoned yourself out of God. But unfortunately, when you got there, you're scared to death about where you are. Does that make sense? And some of you are at the point where your decisions, you now understand, have hurt a great many people. And some of those people you hurt love you more than anybody else on the planet. And then there are the things that are just going on in our world. The Catholic sex abuse scandal. It's not just going to hurt Catholicism. It'll hurt all of churches. Not so much it happened, as horrible as it is, but that somebody tried to cover it up. What's the answer to that? Where's the manual? I don't know if you've been following the plight of the Rohingya people, but man... Basically, the, hand, the, the Myanmar's army is actually doing this ethnic cleansing because these people have another religion and they don't have anything to begin with. That's happening right now as we're in this beautiful place. Violence in Chicago, division over immigration. This is our country. Racial tensions and the opioid crisis. Where's the fix? Do you really think anyone has a mind that can solve it? Because for me... I no longer care what everybody's opinion is on the matter. (laughs) I don't care if they're conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican. Everybody seems to be an expert, and yet nobody has any solutions to all these things. I don't want to hear what young people or old people have to say and what's divided. What I want to know is what does God have to say to all those things? Where's God's voice sitting around the table of my home, your home, and our White House, and our UN? Where's God's voice? How about this? Let's make it even more personal. Where's God's voice in church world? I mean, are we hitting out of the park? Not our church. I mean, we are, but other churches, right? Now, I don't share all this to bring you down, although I realize I have effectively done that. You know, that wasn't my intention, and I hope that I can pull us back out of this. But basically, I say all that to, to say this. I want you to know why my relationship with God moved from an optional category to an absolutely essential category. Now, do you understand? That change was because of all of those reasons I just shared. What I've realized is, I need it. 
I need him. I'm not sowing wild oats. I'm not big man on any campus. I'm not star of any team. I'm certainly not the life of the party, and I'm not trying to discover who I am. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a pastor who at times is scared to death and has discovered I absolutely have to have God. I'm part of Generation X. I like to talk to whoever gave us that name because it's not very flattering. We're people that are born between the 60s and 70s, the way I understand it. And as you look around, the leaders of our world, most of them are Generation Xers or the generation right before us. When Generation X was first defined, we sort of had a prophet that came on the scenes, and he did a lot of writing, and everybody was reading him to figure out who this Generation X was. His name was Douglas Copeland. Now, I don't know if he's a believer or not, but what's eerie is so much of what Douglas Copeland wrote about actually has been true. And so he writes this book, one particular that I read, called Life After God. And the book was a reflection on our society and where we're moving as a culture when God is no longer mainstream and no longer accepted and no longer tolerated and people fall out of relationship with him. And Copeland believed that that's where Generation X would lead us, and as a result, he actually was, was right to a society that's intolerant of God and to a people that no longer need to have a relationship with him in their eyes. In the book, it's kind of like an allegory, and he tracks a young man's development through this troubled era, and he looks at his mistakes, and his marriage is stagnated, and he's ensnared in this meaningless job, and instead of deep friendships, he endures what he calls halfway relationships. And then after 358 pages in Life After God of aimlessness and frustration, Copeland comes to this conclusion, and this is what he said. Now, here's my secret, he writes. I tell it to you with an openness of heart that I doubt shall ever achieve again. So I pray that you're in a quiet room as you read these words. My secret is I need God. That I am sick and can no longer make it alone. He writes, I need God to help me give because I no longer seem to be capable of giving to help me be kind as I no longer seem capable of kindness and to help me love as I seem beyond being able to love. Like Copeland's character, maybe you have a secret too. Perhaps your own circumstances are causing you to conclude that maybe, just maybe, you need God to breathe life and hope into your home into your relationships, into the way you see yourself. Or maybe you need him to knock the crust off a heart that's become corroded with self-interest, cynicism, or hyper-spirituality. You just sense there's this got to be more to experience life than a job, three meals a day, and the gnawing feeling that something's wrong kind of would like to get at the truth, but you're not sure how, and you're a little afraid of what you might find. Now, I don't know what you necessarily believe about Scripture or the Word of God. Um, Our church buys into it, and, and we actually hold it in pretty high regard. So if you could set aside your ideas of what Scripture is, and let me just tell you what the Scripture teaches, and it may help you understand some of the belief system around here. Uh, The first Scripture I would share with you is this. This is the words of God. God's saying these in Scripture. You can read it for yourself. But this is what he says. God says, I know the plans I have for you. I always put my name there. 
so you could do it. Hey, I know the plans I have for you, Tom. So if there's a God and he knows his plans for me, that might be relevant to my life. And his plans for me, get this, are to prosper you, not to harm you. I love to punch Brother Zedekiah in the face with this verse. You know what I'm saying? Hey, <laughs> plans to give you hope and a future, not fear and damnation. <laughs> hope and a future. If that God's out there, I want to know. I want to know him. Fair? Let me show you another verse so you know it's not just one place. This is from the Gospel of John. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, that's Jesus, he gave the right to become, look at this one, children of God. So no matter where you are, if, if, if you've kind of given your heart to God and to Jesus, then according to Scripture, there's this possibility that you and I would actually be called his children. Children born not of natural. In other words, it didn't happen like our children happened. Not of a human decision or a husband's, but actually born of God. So there's this relationship available of a God that's got this plan for my life, and there's this God who will allow me to function as his child. And then the book of Revelation, just so I can go cover to cover with you, and you can see this is plastered throughout the pages of Scripture. This is what the book of Revelation says. It says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. This is God. And the best I understand this image, you can do your own research, is God's outside the door. I'm inside the door. It's complicated. <laughs> and so God is basically there. And I'm like playing Xbox or like eating or something. And he says, if you'll just open the dead gum door, Tom, what are you going to do? you come beat me in the head like Zedekiah? No, 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 no. If you open the door, I'm going to come in and get Hot Pockets with you. <laughs> it's in the Bible. That's in the Bible, right? Loose translation. You know what it doesn't say? I'm going to become a vegetarian. No, I'm just kidding. That's, not, that's out of context. That's out of context. I'm going to come in and I'm going to eat with him and he'll be with me. Don't miss this because this is blowing my brain. What it's saying is that apparently I can have such a relationship with God that he'll sit down and we'll share a meal together like family. If that's available to me and to our world, I want it. (laughs) I want it. So what does a relationship with God look like? And if I can relate to God as a child does to a father, if I can relate to God as we would if we shared a meal together, if I can relate to God and learn the plans he has for me and for my existence in my life, then the bottom line is this dude wants to do it. And I sure hope there's some folks in the room who would like to join me. The Bible describes how we relate to God. And I'm honest with you, the next two verses I want to share with you have scared me for a long time because I knew I could never do it. So I tried to create some theological loophole to ignore these verses, but let me just share the verses and then we can talk about them. This one's from the Old Testament. God says, be holy. You can put your name in there. Be holy, Tom, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Well, I lost that one. (laughs) That one's not going to work out too well. (laughs) 
And then the New Testament, Jesus is speaking, and Jesus seems to say the same thing, but he puts those, he says, be perfect, Tom. There goes that one. I mean, other than my physical specimen. But everything else, be perfect, Tom, as as your heavenly Father is perfect. Y'all aren't going to have to look too far to find the ways that Tom has dropped the ball on both of those. (laughs) Because they seem impossible, and they seemed impossible to me for a long time. And you know what? They are in and of ourselves. I don't care how hard you try. You can't walk out of there and make yourself holy and make yourself perfect. You get that, right? In fact, some theologies believe there's no way these things will ever happen in this life, but I can't get past the verb tenses. I can't get past the fact that God said it and then Jesus said it again. Did he really say it and just dangle it like a carrot out there? Be perfect, psych. Not on this time. Be perfect, psych. Is that what Jesus is doing? Because if so, I don't want a relationship with him. Or is there something more? I think part of the answer, and we're going to talk about this in the series, lies in that word right there. Because my understanding of perfect and what that word means, this actually means to be mature or complete. Well, now that's something different. If what, if what God is saying is, be matured in relationship with me, let me complete you, if you will. Ah, oh, if that's a possibility... And Tom, the man, the husband, the father, the pastor, is all about some of that. If God can grow this up, listen to me. What I would tell Brother Zedekiah and what I would tell some of you is this. This does not mean flawlessness. That's not what it means. If you have been discouraged because you can't live flawless lives... God never asked you to live a flawless life. That's not what this is. He asked for us to allow him to mature us and to complete us. Jesus was asked once, what's the greatest commandment? And this is what he said. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you could do that, love your neighbor as yourself two are related. Holiness is maturing into these things. And this ever-increasing love for God results in an ever-increasing love for you. If that's real, I live in a world that desperately needs it. If it's real, my children live in a home with a dad who desperately needs it. And Lisa's married to a guy. Being perfect in this life, dear friends, is never about performance. It is always about affections. Love the Lord your God. He didn't say, never screw up for the Lord your God. That's not what he said. He said, love your Lord, your God, with everything you have. Did you hear me? 
it's the most intense relationship on the planet. Love God with everything you bring to the table. Well, Tom, that's awkward. Yes. Slobber all over God. Love it. Love him imperfectly. Just do it with every ounce of your being, he says. And then if you can do that, then maybe we'll awkwardly love each other. (laughs) So I'm going to slobber all over you people. Isn't this a great day? Isn't this wonderful? This is what I see the Scripture teaches. Apparently God, through the Holy Spirit, grows us up in grace only through God's work in us. That's what I'm calling holiness, the maturing, the completing Are we able to actually love God and love others better in purity and completeness only through what God does? In other words, I can't love you just because I'm a nice guy at the level God wants me to love you. I can't forgive you just because we kissed and made up. I need something bigger. And that's this relationship with God. And when... God is allowed to purify the affections that we have for each other and for him. And when we commit our affections to him in that way, our relationship toward God and others is changed. And it's naturally reflected in how we live out our lives. Aren't you curious about that? Allow me to illustrate this kind of in Tom's terms to kind of make it pretty simple. It's a well-known fact in our church that I'm not a very good dancer. I think I am, just no one else does, okay? And Lisa has been hurt numerous times trying to dance with me, um, so it's not pretty. Lisa's a great dancer, uh, probably because she hung out in places I wasn't allowed to go because I'm a Christian. But anyway, um, <laughs> we're kind of two different upbringings. Actually, we had the same upbringing. But anyway, that's not, that's not good. she's not here, so don't tell her this week, okay? I appreciate that. What am I trying to describe is this. It's like we're at a dance, and God is there. Stay with me. Come on, stay with me. And God spies you across the room because you're so cute. And he comes over and he says, hey, Tom, do you want to dance? And now i got to make a decision, and respectfully, so do you. God says, do you want to dance? Do you want to have a relationship with me? And i got to decide because God won't force himself on anybody. And so some of us in the room have said, yeah, I want to dance. Others in the room said, no, I'm not into dancing. Theologians would call this kind of initial sanctification or, or salvation. This is the point where it's just as if you've never sinned. This is where God invites you to the dance and you say, yeah, I love to dance. Well, then you start dancing with God, and God all of a sudden realizes that he made me with no rhythm. (laughs) And so I'm stomping all over God's feet, and I've actually heard him a couple of times, you know, trying to dance with God, because that's the second stage. You have to decide, once God invites you to dance and you say yes, you have to decide who's going to lead the dance. And I suspect this is where some of you are. You started to dance with God, but it's been so awkward It's like it's good on Sunday, and then it sucks on Monday. (laughs) It's good on Tuesday, you hit it out of the park, and then you lost your temper Wednesday morning. That's because 
You're still trying to figure out who's going to lead. Theologians would call this progressive sanctification, the way God makes us holy, progressive. So you're still trying to determine you've got a Savior. You're trying to determine whether or not you want a Lord. <laughs> and you get what I'm saying, right? Tell me I'm not alone in this. Sometimes, people, some of this is exactly where you've been living. You gave your heart to Jesus when you were six, and the rest of your life has been right here trying to figure out who's going to lead. It's all been awkward competing affections in your life. God says to do this, but you really want to do this. <laughs> then there gets a point in, in the dance where you say to God, I tell you what, why don't you lead the dance? All of it. And then you and God start making your way across the dance floor, flowing in movement together. God's gained enough of our trust and our dependence and our affections. We all center on him and what we desire, what he desires to do with us in this life. And it means something to us. And he becomes our identity and the hub of our existence. And no competing affections in our lives. Theologians would call this actually entire sanctification. And then there comes a point outside of this life. The next one, if you will. Where even then, I can dance. <laughs> and in heaven, God and I can dance together. I'm going to be the best dancer heaven has ever seen. Because I spent my whole life not being able to dance. So in heaven, I'm not going to stop. Because we're going to be finally be as God created us and desired for us to be. And that's when the battle is finally won. Maybe they call that one complete sanctification. So, so I think in Tom's simple world... This is a great definition for where everybody in the room is spiritually. And maybe you could kind of put a check mark, at least mentally, about where you're kind of rocking this thing right now. So some of you, no doubt, are at this point right here. Maybe God's invited you to dance several times, but you've kept saying no. Or maybe God invited you to dance, you know, somewhere along the way, and you said yes, but now you're like, is that it? Maybe some of you are right here and you're incredibly discouraged because you're trying to do what God, you think God wants you to do, but it's all awkward and you're kind of up and down and up and down and up and down. And maybe what's going on there is God's trying to ask you, which one do you want to lead? He's not forcing himself. You have to decide that. And just maybe some of you are right here and that... You'll make this decision for God to lead the dance. And you will focus on loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God leads the dance. Is it perfect? Is it flawless? <laughs> Certainly not. But it is the way he matures us and he completes us. And that's available to everybody in the room. It's available for anybody who wants a relationship with God. So all I want you to do at this point is make a mark about where you are. And the rest of this series will be about how to figure out how to relate to God in such a way that we let him lead the dance and we fall in a deeper love relationship with him that is actually played out in how we love each other. I hope that would be worth your time. Jesus, thank you for these beautiful people. Thank you for the high honor of being able to share with them 
what has been a freeing truth for me in my life. And my prayer for the Alive community, for those who are watching online this morning, my prayer is that you would help us have crystal clarity about where we stand with you. Crystal clarity. I pray for a, almost a holy discontent to begin to brew in the lives of this church. A church that is desiring to live missional lives and what that means. And this holy discontent would begin to bubble in us and we would find ourselves throwing ourselves, chasing after you. Learning to dance with you in such a way that we never have before. I pray that that would be part of this community. I pray for all these folks in the room that this moment and time would be forever defined with crystal clarity. And in the days ahead, as we courageously, sometimes with fear and trepidation, explore what this means, as a result of us doing this now, could we be so bold as to pray that our families, our marriages, our sweetmates, our relationships, our future, hey, how about this, our community would be forever changed. In your name, amen.